0: Women in Safety Podcast, the show where empowerment meets excellence in the health and safety profession. I'm your host, Alana Ball. Join me and our vibrant community of members as we dive into candid conversations, behind the scenes insights into what it means to be a health and safety professional. Whether you're conquering your day or catching up on the latest industry event, this podcast fuels your journey. Are you ready to elevate your career? Let's get started. I'm Alana Ball, and you're tuning in to the Women in Safety podcast. Hello, welcome back to another Women in Safety episode. I nearly forgot where I was today. Uh, I am joined by the wonderful Michelle Monaghan, who is a longtime safety professional, Women in Safety member, and just all round great advocate in health and safety. So, thank you for joining us, Michelle.
1: Thank you for inviting.
0: Always, always, always. So can you tell the listeners, I know your background and I kind of know what you've been doing even more so recently, but can you share a bit about your journey and particularly your journey into health and safety?
1: Okay. So started Oh, well, now we're we're talking a very long time ago in the 90s back um, when I worked in manufacturing and um, I was doing a traineeship which was all about production orientated. But um, the traineeship had a really good mentoring program. And my mentor was a uh, the group health and safety manager. Um, and she was just very inspiring. Um, funny though, we did some testing to see if I would be suitable. And she said, no, you're too much of a risk taker. Um, but I actually think um, those sort of people don't make bad safety people. So. Uh, when I, and I was forever doing, I didn't have a safety role there, but I was always on the safety committees doing all sorts of things with her. We did um, self-insurance preparation, um, lots of different projects. And then from there, so manufacturing on the decline, resources on the incline. So I thought it was a good time to go into the resources sector. And um, so worked for a, a training company and uh safety consultancy company so I was with them for six years and it was an amazing um learning process um, I worked at site for a couple of years um, did the old 11 on three off which was very challenging for a while while having mm. um my, my children were a bit older then which is mm. good but um I was studying uh yeah very very hectic um, That business then sold, and so I decided to go out on my own. So I had my own, um, doing similar similar tasks, and and but it was no middleman; it was me being the um, the consultant. Yes, yes, the the accountant, the um, HR, the yeah, yeah, yeah. everything. I had a few. few, (laughs) That was the one, yeah. yeah. I had a, had a few troubles with that in, at a couple of places, so I learned a few lessons and that's along where the you way. There. And
0: that's where you and I met, funnily enough, Was yeah, we uh, when you and I first connected, you were there working for yourself and, and doing some really great work.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I was a bit, um, I was getting a bit overwhelmed, wasn't I? And I said, yeah. how can I, how can I get some support with these yeah. things? So, yep. so I've actually now decided to be an employee. Mm. Um, so it does. It does have its own advantages, has disadvantages too. But I'm an employee now of a um, a big mining company, and it's really good to be on the inside of of a company like that and um, doing a lot of collaboration from the inside. So, so that's probably the the main bits of my journey so far.
0: Yeah, that's really cool, and I I think it's interesting that it was not necessarily your intentional career, but. Um, And I do – I find it really fascinating that, um, you know, a psychometric test told you you're a risk taker so we shouldn't employ you in this particular role. Like those days are gone, thankfully, but it's it's just interesting that that was the decision-making in the day to – you know, and and I had done those tests and I have been – You know, my background was HR and we used to run those tests and be like, oh, yeah, they're a little bit too risky for us. Like we're a very vanilla company. Like heaven forbid you should step over that line. So I just find that amazing because it's like, um, you know, this notion that taking a risk is bad and this is what I always try and talk to with with clients is taking a risk is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you took the risk by going out on your own. You took a risk by going back as an employee. Like everything has risk. But it's about going. Well, how do we control it? Is it a like cost cost benefit analysis? It's like, well, actually, the risk is really worthwhile. So, sure. um, yeah, we wouldn't have landed on the moon, uh, although that's a conspiracy, so they say. Um, another <laughs> podcast, another time, perhaps. I'm deep in conspiracy theories. Um, so I want to I want to um, cover off. You know, you've covered a really expansive career as far as, you know working for some clients, you've worked in-house. What are some of the significant challenges you faced in health and safety over your career?
1: P- particularly as a consultant, the difficult, probably the biggest difficulty was that you come in at the tail end when um, corporates set these targets and, and projects that have to get done and they want to do it all internally and then they decide they're not going to have time. They can't do it. Let's get a consultant in, and you only get half the story. Mm. Um, you don't get the initial training. You don't get the uh, the concept behind it, and you have to try and pick it all up um, at the tail end. When and I think as well, you don't you don't often know the people and their particular challenges, so you're trying to. Um, Trying to work things out on the fly, somewhat. I have been fortunate to have worked with a lot of companies for a lot of years. Like um, I, I worked um, with two mining companies for one was for ten years, one was for eight years. So um, I did get to know quite a few people. But um, initially, that that's a real challenge. I think mm. to um, to try and overcome um, getting getting the right amount of consultation and achieving the outcome that the executive team expect.
0: So what are some of the things that you would do to overcome that then? So what are the things that you found tried and true? You know, did you have to apply different things or was it mostly the same thing that you could kind of rinse and repeat with a few tweaks that got you past that challenge?
1: Probably the the main thing that I would do is to factor it into my project scope that there would be consultation requirements. Mm, mm, mm. Um, sometimes that was challenged. okay? like sometimes it would be, oh, you know, our team will do that. You don't need to do that. And I would, I would actually insist that I needed to to have some a bit um, of a pulse check on it. Yes, yeah. Even even if it wasn't the full scope, um, have have at least a um, a point in there. And some companies actually. Quite liked that because mm. um, it it did make for a more well rounded project that that you could see the the whole the whole scope of it. Mm. Um, and and I think,
0: with, dare I say, if they had it delivered it in house, that would have been part of the in house project scope as well. It's like, well, none of us would have ever, from an internal perspective, gone, "Hey, I'm going to." you know roll this out with no consultation so the fact that as an external consultant you're going hey this is going to require this um yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i want to I, circle back quickly sorry michelle <laughs> because i i think it's really interesting the work you're doing at the moment you've gone back in house what we didn't hear was what
1: role you're doing and uh, what's that look like now because it's a quite interesting role that you're doing uh, having said that it has changed because you know that yeah so i was hired as a learning specialist yeah. Um, so my role was to look at learning from incidents and how we could stop those happening again. So mm. so trying to to pick up the key messages um, around the causes of incidents and and um, looking at other other metrics to try and prevent those happening again. That has changed somewhat because they've realised that um, their safety management systems needed a lot of work. Um, and that's what I've been doing for the last ten years. So, yep. um, at the moment, at the moment, I'm working on a project to standardise the um, safety and health management system ac- across ten sites. So it's um, it's a nice challenge itself.
0: Challenging beast. I so um, I just find it really fascinating when you and I first spoke about your move to go into um, this internal role. That a company has dedicated that resource, let's pretend you're still there for the sake of the podcast, um, (laughs) is, um, you know, that they dedicated that resource to go, we really are going to have someone dedicated to deep diving into our incidents, into our data, you know, pulling together this big picture rather than just going, I'm going to do an ICAM at the end of the ICAM. You know, here was the lessons learned. It's like, okay, no, let's let's dig a bit deeper than that. That's what I found yeah. really interesting about that role.
1: Well, they they haven't gotten rid of it altogether. They just combined it with the investigation specialist role. Yeah, and right. the intention being, so that's not my role; it's somebody yeah. else's. Um, but the intention being that they they are training up investigation specialists. Well, they've they've now actually got them at every site. They've got investigation oh. specialists, and this this corporate role will look at um, overseeing the investigations and then looking at the learning. So mm. they're now called a learning and investigation specialist. Um, at the moment, they're pretty tied up in the investigation bit, but the intention being is that it will certainly move into that learning. And And I'll still do that as part of my role yeah. because that-
0: Where does the that, system fit in that? Yeah.
1: That's it. And yeah. so um, I think uh, one thing that systems tend to um, fall down is closing that gap. You know, if, mm-hmm. we, if we think about plan, to do check act, let's let's look at the the, the check act bit and see mm. what's effective and what's not, and um, and try and use some some good deep dives into those investigations to determine what needs to change. Mm. So fascinating, so
0: fascinating. Ooh. Hey, it's me dropping in to let you know about the Women in Safety membership. If you haven't yet become a member, please jump onto our website, click the link in the show notes, because we are the group for you to feel empowered. Do you want to elevate your career? We're the platform for you. Engage with like-minded professionals, participate in authentic conversations, and open the door to opportunities that will help you thrive in your health and safety journey come to us for your authentic connections and break free of ordinary networking. I'll see you soon, now tune back in. So could you share a specific success story and a significant impact? So this is about taking some of those lessons learned whether from a consulting side or from an internal role. What's a project or a piece that you were just like, I nailed it, it was great and it had X impact on safety?
1: probably uh, there's two there's two there's, there's one that had an impact on my professional development mm-hmm. but then there's another one that impacted on my um, on the outcomes for safety. So if we, we start with the like yep. professional development it was a side role for two years. Yep. definitely came along leaps and bounds with that one and, and learnt heaps um, but uh, probably from a um, outcome perspective, was um, a, uh, an underground mine which had a very disjointed safety management system and we went down a pathway of creating when the person walks in the door, um, what their role is, what they have to learn. So I w- so note that I worked for a registered training organisation and, and write training packages as well. So we combined the, uh, the safety and the training and the onboarding all to be for someone who's walked in off the street and never had an idea mm. and created this really solid pathway of what they would need to do to progress at steps along the way. And it was it was just such a clear um pathway for somebody to take and I I really think um made a big improvement to the safety of those new workers.
0: Mm. That's really cool. Because I think it is. I think we sometimes forget who we write training and documents, and we yeah. get so caught up in you know it's a bloody brilliant procedure, and I wrote it beautifully. But hang on, who did we write it for? You know, and yeah. is it is it Joe Jane blogs off the street who, you know, yeah. has has education of level nine or level ten? Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. So you were getting to the stage with the business that you are getting a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit burnt out. How do you manage your work-life balance now as a employee?
1: Um, I think it's probably because we have a structured roster. You know, yeah. I, get an RD, I get an RDO every, every second Friday. Mm. Um, I have a work phone that stays in my work bag um, it, it doesn't travel with me. Um, so like this Friday, I've got an RDO. um, I'll be heading up to see my parents and, um, that work phone won't come with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll check in on it, you know, maybe when I come back, see if there's anything. Um, but I don't have that constant phone in my ear, that constant, um, people ringing for advice because, um. I think being a consultant, and I still get a bit of it, and I try to keep networks going somewhat. Hmm. But you do get a lot of people who just go, "Hey, can you tell me if I just this?" Want to pick
0: your brain about. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So I still still get a bit of that, but they're pretty good. Hey, I think people realise work-life balance um, means that if if you want advice, then you either have to pay for it. Mm-mm. Or or you um, you kind of join networks like yours. <laughs> it,
0: it's interesting though that you've managed to set those boundaries as well, and and I reflect on the recent um, changes to uh, after Ooh. hours, like emails and work and all that stuff. Um, what did they call it? Um, uh, I, I know what you're talking about. Actually, yeah, um, uh, Australia is going to allow that workers can ignore office calls and emails outside yeah. their contracted hours, um, yeah. and it's that right. What they're calling it is that right to disconnect. And I think right to disconnect. It, I, I, I feel yeah. like I I agree with it, but I also think where is like I'm a, I'm a wake up at three a.m. and I'm renowned for sending an email, um, but you better believe that I don't expect a response until you can respond. If yeah. that means it's your midnight for you because that's when you work, reply at midnight. You know what I mean? Like we have, yeah. to, we have to be – I feel like there is a level of personal responsibility and I get that there is some A-hole managers out there who do expect a response at midnight, but I think there is so much personal accountability to be like, I've got a work phone, I've got an audio on Friday, I'm going to leave my phone at home. So kudos to setting that boundary because I know many don't. Um,
1: so – kudos for that um (laughs) yeah but but i'm i'm also an early starter but that means that um i'll go and do an aqua aerobics class at at nine o'clock because i've already done three hours work
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: usually by 9am i'm ready for a quick break (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah that's it yeah um now particularly the industry you're in at the moment, there's a lot of things that are continuing to change as far as health and safety trends, regulations. Are there any resources or strategies that you um, do to stay abreast of some of those changes, working across different kind of legislative pieces, that kind of thing?
1: Uh, And, you know, you've just uh, sort of moved on from work-life balance, but one thing that I actually do enjoy doing is while I'm having my breakfast, is to to troll through some of the um, the the different platforms and things like yep. that's when I, that's when I'll go through the Slack channel and have a look at yep. things. It's when I'll um, have a look at um, the newsletters that come out from the regulators. Um, so and I do that every day. So mm. it's something that you have to keep abreast of. Um, go to some networking events. Um, it's, it's probably one of those things in your job, particularly as a consultant, how do you um, uh, account for that time that you spend doing that because it is so essential? Yes,
0: yeah, yeah. I think in any role, to be honest, because I find, you know, I certainly from a consulting side, I've spoken to a number of health and safety professionals that are within a business, that it's the first thing that gets left off the list. It's like, we're so busy putting out fires, I don't have time to go and read all the regulated newsletters because they put out quite a few. If you subscribe to to them, they put out quite a few. Um, I don't have time to read all of that. And they rely on these very formal legal updates from their, you know, legal team or whatever it might be. So I love that. I think I need to personally get better at that. And I think it's one of those, um, what's that, Atomic Habits book where they talk about habit stacking. It's like yours is, Breakfast reading these newsletters so yeah oh, um, the other, the other thing, like
1: that the other thing since i now work in the city is uh podcasting on the train so yeah. good yeah you know, you'll I,
0: be I, able to listen to this one michelle <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah i know yeah there's nothing worse my mother asked to listen to one recently and i press play and I, I still i won't listen to them myself I'm, like, I'm not listening to myself back i can't think of anything worse for <laughs> buggers listening to me in your ears um so, last question is, what's a piece of advice you would give to someone who is looking to make their mark in health and safety? They're wanting to make a true impact in their organisation. What's your piece of advice for them?
1: I, without being too blunt, which I quite am, um, is you have to have the right aptitude for it. Yeah. Um, you, 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 you have to be a people person, but you also have to be really good at research You have to be pretty good at writing. Yeah, um, you need to be able to to balance a lot of different things. Um, Have a pretty thick skin, Um, and it's 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 not a job for everybody. I I don't think um, I think people underestimate the complexity of the role. Mm. Um, So so the advice would be have a think about why you want to do it, Um, and it needs to be a bit more than I want to keep people safe. Mm. Yeah, actually, you yeah, actually have to have the aptitude
0: for, yeah. for the many aspects of it. Do you know what's interesting? No one, I, I don't feel like in all the podcast episodes anyone's ever called that out. But you're absolutely spot on, and I don't think it's a, a they just haven't thought to call it out. Um, it's just something that's really fascinating. Um, yeah, I like that. Well, Michelle. Thank you for joining the Women in Safety podcast um, for this lovely day. Um, I hope our listeners got a lot of value out of it, and we shall catch up with you next time. So, thanks for joining us, Michelle. Thank you. Wow, what an episode. If you loved today's episode just as much as I did, we'd love to hear your feedback or even better, share it with your friends, your colleagues and other safety sisters or safety misters so they too feel empowered and inspired. We will catch you for another conversation next time and we hope in the meantime, you start implementing some things to transform your career.